Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Maxine Horn, Chief Executive Officer of Vita Group Limited. I'm particularly excited about bringing this episode of the Arate Podcast to you today, as Maxine Horn's career is a fascinating story that's brought her from the UK to Australia and from being the owner of a very small retail business to now the CEO of a large listed company. And I'm sure you'll find what she has to say fascinating as I certainly did. Let me briefly introduce myself to you. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And if we can assist you in terms of your own career or alternatively recruiting talent into your organization, then I'd welcome the opportunity to speak to you. However, let us now get on and let me introduce to you Maxine Horn. Maxine Horn is CEO and founder of the publicly listed Vita Group, Australia's largest independent technology business, with over 1,600 employees, a national footprint, and annual revenue in excess of $600 million. Maxine has significant global experience in telecommunications and technology and has been at the forefront of the digital revolution for the past 20 years, creating strategic alliances with industry leaders such as Telstra. Maxine was named QBR Businesswoman of the Year Retail in 2006 and received the 2014 EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award for the industry category in the Northern Region. She has no formal qualifications, instead regarding herself as having been officially schooled by the University of Life. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Maxine Horn. So Maxine, thanks very much for joining us on the Arate podcast. It's lovely to have you you here on a sunny Brisbane Monday afternoon. How's your uh, week shaping up? Um, well, Mondays are always my days in the office to um, set up the week ready for um, the meetings that are coming. So Mondays normally are quite a relaxed day okay. where we're just catching up, setting things going. And, right. Yeah. So, so it's pretty cool today. Oh, good. <laughs> Do you travel a lot in your role? Um, yes. Yeah. I, I, I obviously, um, we have a great relationship with Telstra, so, and they're be- predominantly based in Melbourne, so I, I travel to Melbourne a lot. We are a national company, mm-hmm. so... Um, I do end up traveling all states um, and also then I'm responsible for the Investor Roadshow. So I would say mm, two weeks of of a month I'm traveling. Oh, that's a a fair bit. Yeah, I have a fair old um, number of uh, frequent flyer points, that's for sure. I'm sure you do. Well, look, uh, (laughs) I really appreciate you joining us. So perhaps just to start with, for the people who are listening in, can you just talk to us about your range of current professional responsibilities? Sure. Well, I guess from my perspective, I'm, I'm really responsible for um, steering the ship. Uh-huh. Um, the company's called Vita Group, and we're a publicly listed company. So I take on a lot of responsibility from external invest, um, dealing with our external investors, our, our analysts, the brokers, um, the media. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, um, I, internally, my responsibility is either a group, a, a, to recruit a group of really talented people and sure. surround myself by them, so they make me me look good. Um, and really, together we um, 
define the strategy and then my role really is to make sure we stay on strategy which sounds a very simple thing but you know people today like to they get attracted by their latest shiny button and they like to play with that and I go hang on is this on strategy why are we talking about this um, and and really then just selling you know the 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 um, all the offerings that the group has to offer people coming mm-hmm. into the business. So I guess if I was to summarize it in a very succinct way, I'd say my job, my primary role as a salesperson. Right. I'm just selling the business as opposed to the products that we sell. Very good. And as I was sitting waiting for you in your reception, I got to watch your induction video. Yes. And uh, you're obviously uh, it's looked as though you're having a lot of fun doing that as well. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, it is one of our um, core values. Love what you do so we do really uh, focus on having a bit of fun in the environment we take our business seriously just not ourselves oh fair enough all right well that's great well uh, I like to start these conversations by going back to where it all began so Mm -hmm. perhaps uh, talk to us a little bit about where you were born and your early life and your family and so on well as as a young child I was brought up by my grandparents um, in a place called Ipswich in the UK right Um, my grandparents were very Uh blue-collar my grandmother was a cleaning lady and my grandfather was a carpenter right Um, they really were what I would call the salt of the earth you know they would help despite the fact that they didn't actually have much themselves they would always help everybody right um, and uh, I think it's really from them that um, you know they really instilled the values in me mm-hmm. um, I'm quite I have quite a lot of old-fashioned values and okay. I hear myself saying things that I can recall my grandfather saying to me and in right. fact the company values are a little bit reflective of that okay um, when my father remarried I went to live with him in Wales and finished my secondary school there mm-hmm. Despite the fact that I was, um, and still am, I might add, very intelligent, um, <laughs> um, I couldn't wait to leave school. Right. I, I never went to university. Uh-huh. And I think my, I'm a real, if I, and again, on reflection, I know this, I'm a challenger. Mm-hmm. I like to challenge the status quo. I like to um, upset you know, the apple cart a little bit okay. and, and really think outside the square. And I had everybody telling me you're to go to university. Right. And so that was the thing that thought, well, no, I don't think I will. And is that something um, that you got from one of your grandparents, do you think, that uh, trait? Actually, no, I don't think I did get that trait from them. Okay. Because <laughs> um, they were very, um, you know, always do the right thing right. and very compliant. And so I, I don't actually know where that one came from, uh-huh. um, but it's definitely inside of me. Okay. Um, and it is, you know, I will, even now I constantly challenge, well, why can't we do that? That mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Or surely there's a better way to doing, of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I left school, I joined Barclays Bank yes. um, as a management trainee in those days. Um, it was once you joined the bank, you had a, a job for life. Right. Um, the role was to do three months um, in every aspect of okay. the branch, and yeah. then after three years, you would be allocated a branch as a right. branch manager. Um, it's fair to say that I wasn't the personality for that. Right. <laughs> I think I stuck it for about six months. Um, and after that, I did a little bit of traveling, mm-hmm. um, came back to the UK and decided that I really should start to look for a career. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to join a company called Mercury Communications. Okay. Um, who are the equivalent to Optus Communications in the UK. So they're right. the challenger brand on the okay. incumbent telco. And I started there in telesales. Right. Um, I applied for a job in Mercury Paging, um, and I'll be the first to admit the sole reason was because it had a company car. All right. <laughs> and just to uh, uh, ask, 
what um, you got into the banking environment, mm-hmm. you decided that didn't suit your personality. Yes. What attracted you to the telecommunications space? I think, um, well, for me, it was around sales okay. um, and it was around um, a real thriving um, environment. So mm. it was very fast moving. It was particularly that time in the UK, Mercury had come in, they were the incumbent. Mm-hmm. They, oh, sorry, they were the cha- yes. challenger to the incumbent. Mm-hmm. And they were absolutely starting to, um, you know, just. Um, shake things up a bit right. the industry itself was changing uh-huh. quite rapidly and i found that quite appealing so the, even the brand itself was for one of a better term a bit sexy mm. right okay absolutely and and again it, with the value of hindsight when i look back at my whole life I, i've worked in startup companies mm-hmm. and so that environment where you start in a business and you know there's it's a very close-knit team um yes you all have your defined roles but you there's no um um, has, you don't hesitate to pitch in and help out when you need sure. to just to get the job done. Yep. Um, and you feel a level of ownership and responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. And um, In fact, that's one of the things that went, that's made me want to start my own business right. is I wanted to be able to replicate that mm-hmm. and show that you could do that with a business that was a large business mm-hmm. as well. You just okay. had to really focus on your culture. Right. Um, so um, I went from Mercury Paging whilst I was there. I was really fortunate enough to come across my first mentor, uh-huh. which was a lady called Tricia Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and seriously, if it wasn't for her, I doubt very much that I'd be here today. And so, she worked in the business? Yes, right. yeah, she was the national sales manager. She, she actually came in about six, seven months after I was working there. She, mm-hmm. she was recruited as the national sales manager for Mercury Okay. and um, had an, a tremendous impact on my life both professionally and personally right. so um, and that's you know I'm very strong in this business around mentors and mm-hmm. coaches mm-hmm. Um, because it isn't just you know helping you with your career it actually mm-hmm. helps mold you as a person mm-hmm. it's really interesting I often ask my guests whether they've used a coach uh, mm. to get where they are and some people are very forthcoming and say absolutely it's mm. been fantastic other people are either um, reticent to say so because yes. they are revealing that they may have a weakness about sure. themselves which I think is a bit silly but yeah. uh, um, but it's it, obviously that was at a very early age um, mm. yes. uh, to have access to somebody who can do that must have been a wonderful yeah and, and it absolutely was and it was really funny because it was a bit of a love hate hate relationship right she would make me do a whole heap of thing and I literally thought that she was picking on me right you know why why am I the only person that has to go and do this and why do I have to do that and why do I have to come back and present to all my peers all mm-hmm. this type of thing and now I realize exactly what she was doing right. she you know she was skilling me up she was okay. grooming me um, she was developing me personally so there's a whole heap of things that and it, and it really took me about three four years to realize what was going on right. which, which you know to her credit she she persevered through my Fair resistance <laughs> and, and what do you think were your qualities that she noticed that made her feel that it was you were worthy of the investment yeah well I, I actually know okay. what they were because right. I was really fortunate enough a few years ago she and her family came over to Australia and I got to catch up with her and I actually right. got to say thank you oh, so good. that, that re, you know that was a re, very very special moment for me but what she found or what she saw in me was this um, real desire to learn mm-hmm. and this desire to better myself mm-hmm. this desire to um, make things um, to fix things to make things to overcome things and this resilience and tenacity yep. um, that 
she tells me right. was worthwhile her investing her time mm-hmm. and effort in me. So she must be uh, quite proud of uh, what you've achieved here. And uh, Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, she, it, was, it was actually a very, very emotional moment when right. I sort of said, look, I sure. really wanted to take time to thank you because if it wasn't for you. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think deep down she was probably very, I think, humbled by the fact that I'd taken the time to do that because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking 20 25 years ago Um, and um, but also um, you know a lot of leaders really great leaders Mm. get their satisfaction from other people not from what they do themselves definitely okay and so what uh, happened from there Um, so I went through the ranks of Mercury communications from salesperson to um, area manager to regional manager Um, whilst I was at Mercury I met my um, husband at the Mm -hmm. time um, and we got married in the UK. He's, mm-hmm. he's from New Zealand. Okay. Um, and when we decided that we were going to have a family, we um, originally, the original plan was for us to move to New Zealand. And right. being the typical POM, I thought that New Zealand, and in fact, the whole of Australia was like Brisbane. Right. Um, so you can imagine my dismay when I get off the plane in Wellington and it's blowing a southerly. Yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why are we moving here? <laughs> um, and I literally at the top of it, this was in the days where we, they didn't have air bridges, they had the stairs, and I stood at the top of the um, plane waiting to come down, looking at all this rain beating down right. on us. And I turned to my husband, David, and I said, I'm not moving here. Right. And he said, why? I said, because if I want to stay in a wet, cold, windy city, I'll stay in London. Sure. Um, so, and then he said, so where would you stay? Uh, where would you move to? And I said, well, and we were, again, really fortunate enough. I'm a real believer in fate, by mm-hmm. the way, that we came via Brisbane. Right. And we had an eight-hour stopover in Brisbane. And instead of staying in the airport, we mm-hmm. came out to Gregory Terrace okay. swimming pool. All right. And I just turned around and I said I'd move to Brisbane. And that would, had been your only experience of Brisbane? Only experience right. of Brisbane. And interest- public swimming baths. Oh, you went, you <laughs> yeah. went there for a swim? Yes. Right, yeah. okay. And the ironic thing is my son went to school opposite it many, many years later. So Where, grandma? Um, no, Gregory Terrace. Oh, I'd, uh, right, yes, okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we went back to the UK um, and took about 18 months to Mm -hmm. sell up everything. And Mm -hmm. we literally, we didn't bring anything. We just sold everything, landed in um, Australia and then started looking for a job. Right. Um, I was, again, um, Optus Communications at the same time Mm -hmm. were um, starting up. They were the challenger to Telstra. Um, They um, were at the time owned by, part owned by Cable and Wireless, Mm -hmm. who had an ownership in Mercury Communications. So I kind of got in um, early in the Brisbane market as a a sales rep. Mm -hmm. Um, Very sort of a while then, um, carried on just selling mobile phones to enterprise and corporate clients. Mm After a while, looked at what was going around in the marketplace here. It was about two years behind the UK, mm-hmm. and um, was at a um, um, a party, um, a barbecue, okay. and talking about the industry. That you know, very soon, with Optus coming into the market, the real thing is about. And I don't understand why people aren't seeing that. It's not about selling the hardware. It's about selling the network and the right. service. Yeah. Um, and somebody said to me, you know, well, if you know so much about it, why don't you do something? And that mm-hmm. kind of triggered a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I would then go home um, after work for, for about a month and I'd be doing my own sort of um, business plan and my P&Ls and right. my cash flow forecast. And then I remember turning to Dave and I said, I think there's something here. 
So we started off as an Optus dealership. David left his job and mm-hmm. started working in there. We, we originally started with another couple. Okay. After about three months where we needed another cash injection, they bailed. Right. And we continue, We decided that, no, it's still worth mm-hmm. pursuing. Sure. Um, and then round about um, three months after that, I left my job and joined the company as well. Okay. So for about 18 months, we were an Optus dealership. Mm-hmm. Um, we happened to have gone back to the UK and we noticed again that mobiles were becoming very, very consumerized because this is the time where they were a business item and right. they were about $5,000 if okay. you could buy a handset and that they were becoming the domain of the consumer. And the re- and why that, that was going to happen is that the networks were going to subsidize the price of the handset. Right. So we decided that we needed to change our strategy and that we needed to be where consumers shop and in Mm -hmm. Australia that's shopping centres. Mm -hmm. Came back, told Optus about our plan, they didn't necessarily agree with it. We said, well, that's fine, but we're going to go and speak to the other carriers. And we went and spoke to Telstra, they thought it was a great idea. And in 1995, we changed from Optus to Telstra. Right. And we then started off as the company name of PhoneZone. And that's kind of how the business right, started. Sure. Our first store was at um, Pacific Fair on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, typical small business, really, you know, people say to me, did you have these grandiose plans? And I said, not not really. I said, I, I went in it quite, into it quite naively. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that the reason we picked the Gold Coast is so that we could probably close up at lunchtime and go and have a surf, right. you know, and we thought that we'd be our own boss, we'd have so much time, yeah. and nothing could be further from the truth. I, I hear yeah. you. I started Arata Executive <laughs> yeah. with my wife on the 1st of February 2009, and we thought this would be a great little lifestyle business, mm. uh, one little child, and uh, I've never worked so hard in my I entire know, life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I get where you're coming <laughs> from there, that's for sure. And so um, that was 1995. Yes, it was, so, yes. Uh, 21 years ago. Yes. Happy 21st. Thank you. So talk to us about how things kind of unrolled from there. Um, You started with one store and Mm -hmm. what were some of the key milestones on that 21-year journey? Yeah, I think one of the the key milestones for me was, um, well, well, very quickly, the the formula that we had found, i.e. putting a, a mobile phone shop that's targeting consumers in a retail shopping center. Mm -hmm. It sounds very logical, but Mm -hmm. in those days, we were the first to do that. Um, And in fact, I can remember the um, leasing agent saying to me, but are you sure you want to come in here? Because people don't buy phones from shopping centers. And my response was, well, that's because they can't. Mm. Um, So where where were they buying them from at that time? um, All of the um, Telstra and and all of the mobile phone stores were located in sort of... um, small to medium business areas mm-hmm. where you know you drive to right, and you okay. drive in and they do your servicing sure. of the uh, you install the car kits etc mm-hmm. so we're banking facilities and um you know small industrial areas that mm-hmm. tended to be where they would locate mm-hmm. themselves okay. because predominantly until it, the check the paradigm shift from being a business tool to becoming a consumer item mm-hmm. they were targeting yep. business customers yep. um so um, we, we, had, we had come across something which was a great strategy, and the strategy was perfect. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, um, we found that as we started to talk to other shopping centers, there were our competitors in there. So within in the first 12 months, we rolled out about 
14 stores. Okay. A very rapid rollout. Mm-hmm. And at the time, still my husband and I running the business. So mm-hmm. working in the business, doing all the things, ordering stock, payroll, all of that kind of stuff, and serving customers. Mm-hmm. A ty- as I said, typical small business. So one of the big milestones for me was around about 1996, okay. where we decided that we would bring on... Um, a financial controller. Right. We needed to bring in expertise into the business mm. that we didn't have. Mm. And I think the big lesson for me is to surround yourself by people that have got more skills than what you have. Mm-hmm. And and secondly, and most importantly, let them do the job. Sure. Which, as a small business owner, is a huge thing. Particularly, you know, most small businesses have got their home on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got everything invested in there, and and they. You, and I had it. You have this mentality that no one can do it better than you because no one cares as much as what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's a very tough thing to let mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. and let someone else sure. do those jobs that you need to be done. Mm-hmm. But once you do learn how to do that, um, your, com- your company just goes tenfold mm-hmm. because you've got the experts doing the jobs that you need them to do and you're, you're kind of hovering over them and making sure you're staying on strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose is- uh, in that early time, in uh, getting access to the capital necessary for a quick rollout is a critical thing, isn't it? Yes, um, yeah. I had Tom Porter from Eagle Boys mm. uh, on the podcast recently and no doubt you know your situation is similar to him rolling out 14 stores in 12 months requires a, a fair amount of uh, capital to do that well yeah well we were very fortunate because this in the, in the a we were in an industry that was growing prolifically mm-hmm. so lots and lots of sales happening mm-hmm. plus in those days you used to get what they called recurring revenue right. which was a portion of the, the bill mm-hmm. so if you spend a hundred dollars we would get a portion of that right. as well as the transactional yeah um, Income. Okay. Um, so um, for those first few years, um, basically the company funded everything. Okay. And um, we didn't take on an, any additional debt. Right. Wow. Um, and but likewise, we never paid ourselves a salary sure. either. So, okay. Um, and you know, we were very quite naive in some of the things. We we really just ran the business like it was our personal mm-hmm. bank account. Okay. Um, you know, and if we didn't have the money, we either wouldn't do it. If we did, you know, or we'd wait a bit and then. And then do it, you know, then spend the money then to open a new store. So, okay, sure. Um, yeah. And so uh, as you're growing 14 stores, uh, you take on your financial controller. Mm-hmm. What, what would have then been the next key milestone? Um, I think from then on in, it was really, um, I think one of the things, again, if I look back as to why we're still here today, and a lot of our competitors that started at the time aren't, is that we didn't get sucked into the volume game. Okay. Okay. We 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 used to have this mantra as well. It's not a connection for a connection's sake. Mm-hmm. So every connection in this business had to be profitable. Okay. So we really um, decided that we would um, share a, a whole heap of information to our people. And even today, our people see a lot more information than any other company. Okay. So they know what profit, where we make the profit, right. where it's made, how much it costs to run this store, that how much it costs to roster in such a way. Mm-hmm. And we teach them how to run a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we do that is that we want to make sure that they are incentivized to do the right thing by the customer and the mm-hmm. right thing by the company. Um, and really one milestone for us was back in December 1995, we had a huge, huge Christmas, um, like none other. Um, and we were expecting to make lots and lots of profit, mm-hmm. and we didn't. Right. 
because we or what we had done is we'd given our people a number to chase uh-huh. and they chased the number right and really didn't care whether it was a profitable number sure. or not okay and Christmas time as any retailer will tell you is a time where you really need to watch your rosters right right um, so those that that was a big milestone and a mm-hmm. big lesson for us and so what we did is we set the business up um, based on profitability mm-hmm. um, which sounds again very simplistic but sure. you know when you've got um, a widespread network and you're not in store uh, in every single store all the time you mm-hmm. have to be confident that you're pulling the right triggers for your business managers mm-hmm. The second thing we did is in order to do that, instead of yelling product and price, we decided that we would go down the customer service avenue. Okay. Um, And our philosophy has been, and always has been, is that we look after our people who in turn reciprocate by delivering great levels of service, Mm -hmm. who create a great environment for our customers who keep coming back. Mm -hmm. So our customers know that they probably spend more with us. Right. But they're happy to because they appreciate the value that we've wrapped around the product and the the high levels of customer service that we deliver. Mm. And that's been our ethos from day one. And it really, you know, and especially now in the environment where we're moving from transactional to experiential to a personalized customer service, it really is putting us in good stead for the future. Mm. Okay. And so um, how many stores now? Um, so now we have um, a, a combination of about 160 stores okay. nationally. Yes. 100 um, of those are Telstra stores. Mm-hmm. We have 20 odd, I, I say 20 odd because I know that we've just acquired a couple, um, what we call Telstra business centers, which mm-hmm. sit within our small business channel. Okay. Um, we've got um, a splattering of phone zones left mm-hmm. um, and um, a, a, um, about 1610 stores. Right, okay. Yeah. And so at what point did you start to think that uh, listing was uh, uh, important to you? Right, well, back in... Um, 2002 mm-hmm. and again if you if the, the important thing that I've learned also is to really look at what the macro um, elements of the of your industry as mm-hmm. well as the micro mm-hmm. um, and really look at what's going on within your market space and now have you positioned your business accordingly mm-hmm. so for the first five six years our growth was organic growth so all greenfield stores that mm-hmm. we open got to around about that 2000 2001 2002 time period and we started looking at not just within telco but retail as a whole okay and traditionally if you if you look at australia you know most of the retailers have about 250 to 300 points of presence mm-hmm. and and that's really the the demographics of the land and also the size of the population mm-hmm. So we knew that Telstra had round about that number of points of presence, and we also um, knew that you know from a phone zone perspective, um, and from an independent dealer perspective, there were about four thousand different points of presence, and we really felt okay, this market is going to start to consolidate. Okay, yeah. So for us, it wasn't about our. We had to change our strategy from organic growth to mm-hmm. growth by acquisition. Mm-hmm. So the. By now, we were devising um, business plans and devising our strategy, etc. Um, so we had a, another three-year business plan that involved us um, going on an acquisition trail, mm-hmm. which was a great plan. The only trouble is we didn't have the money because right. all the previous money we had had gone into sure. um, opening up all these greenfield sites. 
So we, we went to market and we went to um, private equity. Mm-hmm. And um, we we're fortunate enough to have Investec Wentworth invest into the business. Okay. Um, but we knew from that moment on that, you know, most private equity takes three to five years to exit. Mm-hmm. And most of them exit via an IPO. Mm-hmm. So we knew at that stage that that's, I guess, the path that we had signed up on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we floated the business back in 2005, November 2005. Um, and um, yeah, just continued on through our acquisition trail. Got to around about 2008, which was GFC time, which yeah. I'm sure everybody is aware of that. So a number of things, obviously the GFC hit us, um, but also our market in itself was going through another um, paradigm shift, and that is um, the, the, the carrier brand was becoming the dominant retailer. Right. Uh, at the expense of the non-carrier brands, yeah. so the likes of Phone Zones, Crazy John's, mm-hmm. Strathfields, mm-hmm. etc. And we were we knew that we were in no man's land, mm-hmm. so we had to change. Um, so the conversation that we had with Telstra, and, and again, we knew our metrics because um, Telstra would share that with the whole of the channel. Uh-huh. And so we knew that we were one of their best retailers. And so... We also had done our research, we'd seen what was happening overseas with regards to the, ca- the carrier brands dominating the retail landscape. We knew that Telstra were about 100 points um, um, less than their competitors, so mm-hmm. they were themselves were going on a, um, an expansion plan. Mm-hmm. So we spoke to them and um, basically suggested that doesn't it make sense to have your, made, your best retailer running the next 100 stores? Sure. And um, back in 2009, the master license agreement was born. Okay. Um, and what that basically means is that we run out of the 360 stores, um, we run about 100 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Telstra themselves run about 80 to 90, and the rest are owned and operated by individual licensees. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those um, do have up to five, but we're the only um, company that has over uh, up to 100. Right. Um, and we're... You know, so that was our retail strategy. Then we signed up to roll out 100 stores in four years. Mm-hmm. We did that in three and a half years whilst maintaining the phone zone business. And I think for me, that's probably one of the proudest moments, you know, and, and another lesson learned is that, the, you know, the collective effort and wisdom of the team absolutely outperforms the individual any day. Mm-hmm. And we as an organization moved from being quite silo to being very cross-functional and collaborative because mm-hmm. we had to be to sure. make sure we hit those goals. And that's the organization that we have today. Um, and essentially that was our retail strategy um, to move out of the Phone Zone brand into the Telstra brand, mm-hmm. still performing very, very well for us. In fact, there's there's continued growth in that particular channel Mm -hmm. today we have a retail channel a small business channel and an enterprise and corporate channel and essentially what we did back in 2009 in retail we're now doing in the small to medium business channel so all the characteristics of the industry the you know it's a highly fragmented industry it's it's being consolidated under the carrier brand um, and it's based around you know high levels of customer service um, the big difference for us is that we're in on the ground level this time as mm-hmm. opposed to we came into the licensee program quite late in the okay. um, program. Okay. And what I'm interested in, uh, you started your career, you didn't go to university, you had mm-hmm. an early mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
your business, uh, you became a business owner, which yes. then went through a lot of growth and then yep. went through an IPO. And, and we're, I mean, um, you must have grown tremendously mm. in terms of your own personal yes. skills and capabilities. Yes. How, what were some of the things that you drew upon mm. in order to uh, assist you through that? I think um, I, I go back to, um, you know, recruiting the right people. Mm -hmm. um, I recruited some, re and you know, I, and I do recall at the time recruiting these people thinking, my God, I'm paying them more right. than me. Yeah. What, what the hell am I thinking? Um, but it was the best decision that I ever made mm -hmm. because these people had been in the corporate world. They had a, a heap of expertise and knowledge and talent. Um, and there's one thing that, yes, I haven't been... Um, I'm not tertiary educated, but I'm I'm a learner, okay. um, and I pick up things extremely quickly, um, and I would put myself through, you know, um, courses, um, seminars, listen to the people around me. I've been very very fortunate to have a wonderful chairman. Mm -hmm. um, he's I call him my wise old owl because right. um, he gives me lots of advice. Sometimes unwarranted, uh -huh. <laughs> sometimes not wanted, right. um, um, but um, always required. Um, and um, yeah, and uh, I guess I'm not. I don't have. You know, it's interesting that you said people. Some people don't like to say that they've got an executive coach. Well, mm -hmm. I do, mm -hmm. um, and I found them extremely beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I guess, for me, that's the way that I learn by actually doing, and experimenting, and failing, sure. and learning by my mistakes. I mean, I've had heaps and heaps of mistakes to learn from. What's um, some of the or one of the more memorable ones? Yeah. Oh. Oh. I mean, just early on when we expand, when we were growing, mm -hmm. um, our first store was in um, Pacific Fair, our second uh, in Drapilli, our mm -hmm. third in Parramatta, our fourth in High Point in Victoria. Right. So we had we had four stores across three states, sure. which is totally and utterly illogical. Right. Because you've got a, a, a huge sort of um, network to try and manage those, uh, and we would have had the same profitability right. or the same revenue yes. out of four stores in Brisbane. Right. But and no, we wouldn't have had to have the infrastructure, you know. So all of those things, I look back now and I think, my God, what was wrong with me? Mm -hmm. But you just don't see those type of things when I guess your head's down and your bums up and you're just trying to get through day to day, mm -hmm. which is a typical small business mentality. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned you did some seminars and courses and things mm -hmm. like that. Any in particular that you um, found really I think beneficial? Two really stand out for me. One, I went over to Wharton University uh -huh. um, and I did a um, a two-week course on strategic thinking mm -hmm. and um, I was really personally quite petrified at going right. because I felt quite um, overwhelmed by the talent that was in the room okay. you know and, and I and we we went through this um, and I, I sat there being very very quiet I was the only um, business owner mm -hmm. co-founder and and evolved into a public a CEO of a publicly listed company and I sat there thinking I don't deserve to be in this room. Right. Um, and then about two days into the program, we did a lot of experiential learning mm -hmm. and a lot of role playing and a lot of companies that were given to us and we had to analyze what was wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And we, there was this one particular case where we were given this company and, and, and how it was poorly performing and just described who was the CEO, what the, the yep. managers, what the senior leadership team were doing, what was actually happening on the ground, etc. And this 
I guess workshop went on for a couple of hours and then afterwards and, and I just and I purposely start, decided I was going to stay quiet so I could learn from everybody else but after about two hours I'd had enough and I'd <laughs> said isn't it as simple as strategy structure people processes systems and the the facilitator went what did you say right and he goes yes that's it and he put it up on the board All right. and it was like a light bulb moment for me because yeah. what I I sat there thinking I know just as much as these people. I've just learned it a different way. Sure. And it was a real light bulb moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a great um, um, course for me. And then the second one was um, quite recent, just last year actually, um, the Centre for Creative Learning. Okay. And really that was all around you. Right. And it was about um, you know the impact that you have on your family, your work, your colleagues, and your community. Okay. Um, and it was a real thing about understanding what you say and what you do and how that impacts others. Mm-hmm. And and how do you modify your, you know, your natural behavioral um, uh, traits that come out under stress? How do you modify them so that they don't become damaging? Okay. It's one of the things that I learned from my chairman, and you know, he and he um, calls me a street fighter. Right. And I think that's, you know, from my poor upbringing and my, my challenging men, that mentality, my never say, my never say die. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, that's the very thing that's made me successful, but mm-hmm. it's also the very thing that if I don't control it, mm. will destroy me. Sure. Um, and it's, and so, so that year of reflection, you know, that, that course, and again, it was all a lot about self-reflection and, and it was very confronting. Okay. Did um, you say the Centre for Creative Learning? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I found those two very, very right. helpful for me personally. And that was a course that you took over the, over a year period, wasn't it? No, it, it was a uh, it was about ten days in in Singapore. Okay, yes, right. Yeah. I'll uh, have to have a look at that, and I'll yeah. put a link in the show notes for people sure. who are interested. Okay. And so, um, uh, when you look at your space now, uh, I mean, retail has been facing disruption for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, the telecommunications industry, no yes. doubt, is facing disruption. Uh, as are many industries, including yes. mine. Um, how do you really uh, look to your strategy in order to stay ahead of the curve in that regard? Well, I think, um, first of all, every year we have strategic planning sessions with, mm-hmm. with our senior leadership team and our board. Um, and, and this year we're bringing in our next the, the direct reports of the senior leadership team. Because okay, yeah. as we've got bigger and we've got more branch, more channels and divisions to run, it's important that you really focus on continuing to develop talent in the mm-hmm. organisation, mm-hmm. because really the, the the role of senior leadership is to form form firm up strategy, mm-hmm. um, and the role of the next level leadership is to actually execute the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we 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 have a strategy. We define it very clearly in the form of strategy house, which mm-hmm. is quite it's it's quite a unique way that I, we I do this. I saw the little picture yeah. on your uh, um, video. And the reason we do that is that we want everyone in the organisation to understand their purpose, mm-hmm. and that's the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we articulate it in that way. We refer to it constantly. We talk about why are we doing this? If it's not on the strategy house, don't waste your time because mm-hmm. it's not going to get any airtime anywhere in this business. Right. And so people, they own the strategy, even from, you know, a sales consultant at a store in Caratha mm-hmm. would understand what it is that we're trying to do as an organization. Okay. Um, and then every year we we come back to the strategy and we, we see, is this still current? Is there mm-hmm. still, um, you know, relevant to what's happening at a, mi- at a macro level, not mm-hmm. just in Australia, but globally? Mm-hmm. Um, 
then is it relevant to what's happening here, to our partnership, you know, our strategic partnership with Telstra, to what's happening, what are, what are our customers after, what do they want? Um, and it gets modified along the way. And it's fair to say that um, unless you're really, you know, having this um, dynamic um, change of heart as to where you're positioning your business, it's just a case of modifying and working out what, what are the things that you know that are going to um, change your industry and getting ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're very, very good at is, is identifying where the changes are coming from and then positioning ourselves accordingly so we can take the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that, I think, by... Um, um, you know, articulating our strategy, but also creating an environment for our people that, you know, enables purpose, mastery and autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really focused hard on that because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, I could be a goddamn genius, but if less I've got people to execute my sure. strategy, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really focus, you know, yes, this is a strategy, now let's ex- execute. Mm-hmm. And that's where the focus comes. Goes. And, and what are the opportunities coming in your space that you see uh, uh, when you're looking at what's happening on the world stage, at that sure. macro stage? Yeah. What, are, what are the kind of things okay. that you're excited so, about? So if I, if I maybe take the three divisions separately, sure. um, in, in retail, it really is around this um, experiential environment. Mm-hmm. Um, people are very familiar with, with mobiles. They're very educated now. Um, and, and mobiles aren't necessarily about voice anymore. It's all about data. It's mm-hmm. what you do with your mobile. You know, it's, it's, it's a phone, it's a calendar, it's a, um, um, it's, it's a, a video player, it's you're watching TV, you know, all of these things sure. all around data streaming. Mm-hmm. And so what that's doing is it's becoming an, an integrated into people's lives. And, and our role now is to show them how that can make their lives easier um, more efficient and more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is around having that experiential environment, but also looking at where the opportunities are to um, not just look at the mobile phone, to look at the internet of things. So mm-hmm. that the whole, you, you've heard about the, the, the saying connected home. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are we doing in the home? Because, you know, with MBN rolling out, it isn't not about a pipe coming to your house. It's about what you're going to put on that pipe once sure. it's in your house mm-hmm. and how that makes your lifestyle and the way you um, operate at home better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the retail. And, and really for us, it's also internally, I, I spoke before, we teach our people how to run a business. Yep. So we really, really focus on our leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we, we had one of our long-term um, employees leave last week and to set up his own business. Okay. Um, and you know, people say to me, "Are you sad?" I said, "No." I said, "I'm ecstatic because that's what we're here to do." You know, sure. people leave with more skills than what they came with, mm-hmm. and um, so we really focus hard on our leaders and driving efficiencies, disciplines, um, productivity. We teach them how to be coaches so that they can get more out of their people, and um, and that seems to be paying dividends. Um, so we're really pleased about that. From a small business point of view, I mentioned before, um, the characteristics of the industry are the same as what they were back in retail, back Mm -hmm. in 2009. So we see this opportunity to really become the dominant player under the brand of Telstra Business Center, Mm -hmm. really servicing our small business clients. You know, they have traditionally been an underserved segment of the marketplace in Australia. Mm -hmm. Now they're at the position where 
they can take opportunity, they can maximize the opportunity of all the software um, that's coming that corporations use, but they don't have to invest in infrastructure mm-hmm. because of the cloud. Sure. Their big investment, though, which they don't have, is knowledge and technology mm-hmm. because, like most businesses, they're focused on keeping lean, yeah. you know, and they're, they're, they're either a plumber or they're a hairdresser or they're. Um, you know, that's where their skill set is that, mm-hmm. and they want to have that trusted local advisor mm-hmm. and that's where we see our role. So we're, we're really focused heavily on um, building scale in that area um, and um, providing those high levels of service, not just through the product but by wrapping around service level agreements, managed services to companies that want it but don't have the people inside their business to to facilitate it. Mm -hmm. And then at the enterprise level, it really is about, there's a a big trend of outsourcing. Um, You know, when when someone's got 10,000 phones and tablets, you know, just managing that is horrendous. Mm. And and that's the type of um, managed services that we're providing. So again, our enterprise play is all around professional and managed services. Mm -hmm. So So three very distinct Dif- distinct and different businesses. And and you run each business quite independently in terms of leadership team? Yes, and absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They have, um, they've all got the same, um, lead- and they've all got their independent leadership structure, their, mm-hmm. own, di- their own operating rhythm, their own disciplines, mm-hmm. their own budgeting. Um, and um, yeah, uh, otherwise I don't think it would we'd be as successful as we are. Right. And you mentioned earlier uh, when talking about going to uh, uh, Wharton, uh, being the only person in the room, I think, who was an owner who became a CEO. Mm-hmm. Do you foresee a time I, in the... F- yeah, I'm actually uh, um, quite... Um, I'm in a very, um, what's the word I'm looking at, small crowd. Absolutely. There aren't many founders that have gone through the ranks to become a CEO of a publicly listed company, and there are even fewer females. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, that's- <laughs> that was just my plug. <laughs> <laughs> very good. So, do you foresee a time in the future where you'll uh, hand the CEO reins over to somebody else, or you're, you're loving the responsibility? Oh, look. Obviously, sometime in the future that will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been in the business for 21 years. Mm-hmm. At this moment in time, though, I am loving it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm enjoying the challenge of um, establishing the small business channel. I'm enjoying the challenge of our Vita Enterprise Solutions. Mm-hmm. That's our corporate offering. Yeah. Um, and I'm also enjoying the challenge of looking beyond the next four years. They're, they're really our growth horizons for the next four years. Mm-hmm. And I'm enjoying, well, where do we take our core competency and, and what type of industry do we translate that into? Mm-hmm. So I'm really enjoying that. But I'm also very, um, I guess, pragmatic around the fact that we will come to a stage where this company needs a new leader. Right. Um, because every company, sure. everybody has their use-by date. Yep. Um, I've been told by my board that I don't have that one yet. Right. But I, I am very, very conscious that I want, to, if when I do hand it over, mm-hmm. I hand it over at the top. Mm-hmm. So, and I note also that uh, you've set up a uh, not-for-profit, yes. Camp Quality. Yes. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, so the, the not-for-profit, um, so I'm on the board of Camp Quality, okay. but the not-for-profit is a, um, an organisation uh, called the Vita Foundation. Right. And that's where internally, this time last year, 
um, uh, we were getting feedback from our team members that they really wanted to make a difference and mm-hmm. they wanted to add back into the community. And so we formed the Vita Foundation. It's run by um, a committee. I, I have nothing to do with it. Right. Um, and, and again, I wanted to be very specific about that because it wasn't mine, it was theirs. Yes. Um, and we went through a process. And, and what we did say, though, is that the company would donate 1% of its net profit okay. after tax yeah. um, towards charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went through a process of, of asking the team what type of charity did they want to support, um, you know, what, um, and, and it's, um, resoundingly it came back that they wanted to support children and they wanted to support mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, we then went out to a, a number of charities and asked them to, to come to us to tell us what, you know, what it was that they did, you know, all the typical things, how much of the money goes to the actual mm-hmm. charity, how mm-hmm. much is on admin. Um, and, but what was important for us is that we wanted to be able to be involved ongoing mm-hmm. and we wanted to make a difference in our community. Mm-hmm. So we're a national company and so it had to be a national company, um, a national charity yes. or aspirations to be a national charity. And eventually the, the, fa- the committee of the foundation selected Act for Kids. Mm-hmm. So Act for Kids currently are in, um, and they basically um, um, are there for, um, to prevent um, neglect and abuse of children. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're in Queensland and they're in South Australia. And they have this program, which is a proactive program, that talks to children in grade one. Mm-hmm. And, it, and because... Not something it's like I can't remember the exact statistics, but it's a huge, huge statistics. Over eighty, over eighty percent of abuse happens by um, adults that know the children. Right. And so this, we wanted to be proactive, and so the program that Act for Kids have is where they go out to grade ones mm-hmm. and they they talk to them in a really friendly way. They've got their mascots that teach them how what it's like to be safe right. and what it's like not to be safe okay. and how to go about alerting somebody. Okay. okay? And so through our um, foundation and Act for Kids, we're expanding that nationally. Mm-hmm. So our first state or our first cab off the rank or our first state that we're going into is WA. Right. Um, and then we'll be moving into um, um, Victoria and New South Wales. And our people out at the, our stores have, have had an impact in suggesting what schools okay. that the program actually goes to. Fantastic. So, yeah, so it's, it's a really exciting thing and it, and it really makes you very proud. We've only been doing it since um, we launched it back in August mm-hmm. and already we've raised something like a hundred and. $40,000. Okay. Um, so our, it's a combination of um, salary mm-hmm. um, sacrificing, yeah. um, peer-to-peer funding, and mm-hmm. every time our team members do peer-to-peer funding, the Vita Foundation matches that. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great, and it's very proud. I'm very proud to be part of that. Fantastic. Yeah. So a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are aspiring CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, you've talked a lot through this interview about your philo- philosophies in relation to attracting good people and uh, giving them the uh, autonomy and responsibility mm-hmm. to do their work well. What if uh, you had to summarise some of your key thoughts around leadership as well as that? Yeah. Um, what, what would be some of the things that you would share with uh, my audience? I think from my perspective, um, 
and again, this is a lesson that I've learnt along the way. Is and it's a terminology that a, a good friend of mine, who actually used to work here, introduced me to, called the shadow of a leader. Okay. Never, ever, ever underestimate the shadow of a leader. Mm-hmm. And people don't listen to what you say, they watch what you do. Right. And you are never, ever off duty. Right. So, and by that I mean, so for example, um, you have a meeting that starts at seven and you tell everybody to be there on time and you turn up five minutes late. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is it's okay to be five minutes late. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of those things, you know, and I've learned that along the way. So I think that's a really big lesson I think also, um, you know, don't ask people to do something that you're not prepared to do yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about, you know, just because you've got the title doesn't mean that you get respect. You mm-hmm. have to earn respect. And it doesn't matter what role you are. That's, you know, mm. just because you've got leader or manager behind you on your card, it doesn't make you automatically the best person in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's... Um, I, and I, even in our organisation, I see people forgetting that. Mm. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, these are such simple things mm. and you would assume that everybody would just understand and yeah. uh, it would just be natural that yeah. uh, you would you'd do what you say and yeah. not expect others to do what you wouldn't do and so on. But And yet when I ask people what's a, cre- a key learning around leadership, the things that you share are, um, are often the, yeah. v- these very simple yeah easy to implement um, mm. things, but very few people do yeah. it well. And I think it's, um, and I see it because I deal with a lot of large corporations and I, and I, you know, I stand by and I watch what's going on and I think, mm, you know, yep. and, and you remember I said one of my biggest um, desires in starting the business was to prove that you could create a company that had small business values or, yeah. or family values mm-hmm. and really stay t- true to those mm-hmm. um, you know one of our values is always do the right thing yeah you know and a lot of other companies have honesty integrity sure. and, and it's it means all of that but when I say to people um, is that the right thing mm. you can you can see them thinking in inside no she's right and mm. and I know often people will come to me and they'll ask me what I should do and I say well um, I'm not going to tell you, but what I am going to tell you is go and read the values and work out what you should do. Right. Um, and that's what we do. And we've managed to incorporate that into the business, not just in how we behave on a daily basis, but how we review each other, mm-hmm. um, our performance plans, everything. We, we value the, the how mm-hmm. just as much as the what. Mm-hmm. That's another lesson I've learned is right. it's not necessarily what you do. Mm-hmm. It's the way in which you do it. Mm, it's right. how you do it. Um, and people, you know... Um, we talk about IQ and EQ. Yes, you've got to have a whole heap of intelligent people mm-hmm. in your organisation, but even more so with millennials, it's about how you make people feel. Right. Um, and there's a real skill to that. Mm, and, sure. and I see, particularly with social media, I see that being lost along, you mm-hmm. know, um, so it's important that we don't lose that, I think. Mm, absolutely. We've talked a lot about business in your yes. career, but what about outside of work? What are the things that you enjoy to do when a... Uh, you're uh, not here steering the ship. Okay, so look, I, I'm I, I'm very active. I like sport. I've always played sport from a, a young age. So I do like. Um, I go to the gym on a regular basis. In fact, most days. Right. Um, I walk. I have a dog um, who is, becomes hyper if he's not walked for about <laughs> at least a couple of hours a day. So I do a lot of walking. All right. Um, I like playing squash. I like tennis. Um, I'm 
I'm trying desperately to learn how to surf. Okay. But I don't get enough time because yeah. it is a time thing. Sure. Um, and to be honest, I probably should have learned when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love snow skiing. Uh-huh. Um, just come back from Japan. So I take the kids and I ski once, twice a year. Right. Um, and I just love hanging around with my friends, my family, socializing. Sure. I like reading. I'm a bit of a prolific reader and I have to time my reading though because right. if I start a book, I have to finish it oh, yeah. and I'll often be up till three, four in the morning right. reading it. So yes. I have a, a, a ban on reading unless I'm on holiday. Right. <laughs> so there's, you know, yeah, um, that's good. really what I like doing. And, oh, that's yeah, great. But very simple. Oh, travel. I love travel. Yeah. So. Well, I really appreciate your time. Just before we uh, finish up, is there any final things that you'd like to share or anything we haven't discussed that you would like to uh, leave the listeners with before we uh, call it a day? Yeah, I think what I would say, for aspirations to be C-suite, um, really is make sure you get yourself, not just one mentor, you know, there, there's stats that say, um, people that have been very successful in their career have had around five mentors in their okay. career mm-hmm. um, and a coach. Right. It is. It doesn't matter how good you are and at what level of the business you are, everybody needs help. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that would be my advice. Excellent. Yeah. Just out of interest, you mentioned you have a coach. Is mm-hmm. it somebody that you've worked with a long time or do you change your coaches? I, I've um, I've worked with him now for about two and a half, three okay. years. Yeah. And, and that really is, um, that's he's been my first executive coach. Right, okay. Um, and, and really uh, and on advice from my chairman. Right, so, excellent. Yeah, because, you know, it, it does get a bit lonely up at, sure. in the C-suite and... Um, and it's it's good to have people to talk to that you you can be very open and mm-hmm. not be judged mm-hmm. um, and walk away and, and sometimes you think oh they haven't really got what I've said and then on reflection you think oh no no I think that would work and you, you try it and um, and you have great delight when it works and if it doesn't work my advice is don't give up go back discuss it find out why it didn't work and try again like any sports person or actor or you know I I couldn't agree more and I think that that's a great way to end this conversation thanks Maxine I really appreciate it and uh, have a wonderful afternoon you're very welcome thank you well I trust you enjoyed this episode of the Arate podcast and I found Maxine's story to be fascinating as I did her views on leadership particularly around people and culture. So I look forward to inviting you along to future Arate podcasts. And in the meantime, have a fantastic day.